Today on the Marketplace, IMF Executive Board to consider Ghana's first review report in November this year. A mission is currently in Accra to assess performance and discuss policies for the first review of the program with a view to presenting the review to the Executive Board in November. Former President of Ghana Association of Banks, Al-Hassan Adani, assures viable projects will not suffer despite moves by banks to scale back on lending. Except for certain statutory you know, requirements that says you know, every bank should put X amount in government paper or in tre treasury because of uh, regulatory compliance. Otherwise, you know, the creation of risk assets is entirely the discretion of banks. Plus, five more institutions picked up for non-compliance with country's data protection laws in the latest round of an enforcement action by the Data Protection Commission. What we expect from institutions is to bring their processing under the radar of the Data Protection Commission for supervision. So, for some of the institutions, they haven't registered at all. We have details of these and many others all lined up for you. Please stay. Always a pleasure to have you on. I am Pius Kujobaka. Let's now settle for the details. And the executive board of the International Monetary Fund will consider Ghana's first review assessment report in November this year. This will pave way for the approval and disbursement of the second tranche of the $600 million economic credit facility to Ghana if it passes the assessment. Responding to a question from a journalist in Washington, D.C., Director of Communications at the IMF, Julie Kozak, said Ghana is making some good progress on the program. So as you know, the IMF board approved a three-year, $3 billion um, ECF arrangement in May of 2023, and $600 million was dispersed immediately. Um, a mission is currently in Accra to assess performance and discuss policies for the first review of the program with a view to presenting the, the review to the executive board in November. Uh, Ghana's program has three objectives, three key objectives, uh, restoring macroeconomic stability, ensuring debt sustainability, and laying the foundations for higher and more inclusive growth. And the program includes wide-ranging reforms to build resilience while protecting the most vulnerable. The next steps on debt restructuring are for the official creditor committee to agree with the authorities on the specific modalities of debt relief and for the authorities to continue to engage with their external private creditors um, for relief on their external debt. Uh, these discussions are ongoing, and we hope that the OCC, the Official Creditor Committee, and the Ghanaian authorities will find an agreement soon. Uh, the government has recently finalized the restructuring of its domestic debt.
Now, a former president of the Ghana Association of Banks, Dr. Alhansan Adani, has maintained that viable projects will be still funded by commercial banks despite the 20% surge in non-performing loans in half a decade. This is despite moves by commercial banks to cut back on lending as a result of the rising non-performing loans and current economic challenges. But the former president of Ghana Association of Banks has been speaking on PM Express Business Edition. No, look, I, I agree completely with that. Uh, creating risk assets on in a bank's book is clearly the decision of the bank. Mm. Our credit policies, our sector selection policies, risk acceptance policies, these are, they are all intensely driven uh, policies and actions. So you cannot really, even including the levels at which you, you invest in government paper or for that matter, yeah, um, uh, financial instruments on the market, except for certain statutory you know, requirements that says you know, every bank should put X amount in government paper or in tre treasury because of uh, regulatory compliance. Otherwise, you know, the creation of risk assets is entirely the discretion of banks, mm -hmm. and therefore, yeah, you can say that uh, MPLs, um, MPLs, yes, the banks have responsibility. But remember that a loan of any kind is a promise. It's a promise. It's a promise predicated on a whole lot of things happening. Mm -hmm. Some endogenous, that is, those can happen within the bank and within the firm that you are lending money to, and also exogenous, significant matters that can happen outside of your control. What we try to do in credit is to try and gauge as much as possible uh, the matters that are under our control and how we can hold it together. Yeah. And estimate to the best with your risk lens on the exogenous things that can militate against or work against your credit mm -hmm. and try. So, and try to get a balance. Mm -hmm. You know, that's when you create that kind of asset. And every economy needs that because if you all freeze, nothing will happen. So, mm -hmm. you've got to take risk. Mm -hmm. So, we take it within a measured risk envelope. Now, when you have a government, we all go to school mm -hmm. and we are told that uh, governments never default. I yeah. mean, first lesson in your risk class is government mm -hmm. paper. Mm -hmm. So immediately your government, which is a significant part of your GDP, fails to pay. Just look at the uh, snowball effect on it. Companies that are owed money, who were lent money by you know, banks and financial institutions, believing that they were rendering services and goods to a government or an entity that would never default, mm. suddenly they are told that they cannot pay. Mm. So even though that was estimated, you know, the rate of it, Mm. Is out of control. Mm. You know, yeah, you were looking at uh, foreign exchange yeah, between eight, and you are saying in five years' time, let us sit around 10, 10.5. You know, it's now sitting at 11, and you granted a five year loan, uh, estimating that at that time, six point something, five years, you probably, and you are now sitting at 11. So, all those things and the ability of the market to adapt to these mm. changes. So yeah, I'm not blaming, or I don't think the banks will necessarily blame anybody from MPL, uh, but this is the background to it. And we've got to engage the perspective of industries. And joining us via Zoom is the Chief Executive Officer of the Ghana National Chamber of Commerce and Industry, Mark Bidu Abwaji, for more on this. Mark, thanks so much for joining us here on the Marketplace. Um, first off, what do you make of this fresh assurance coming from the former president of the Bankers Association, Alan Sandani, and even the current chief executive, that good projects will not suffer despite moves to scale back on lending as a result of the high non-performing loans. 
I think it's a, it's a good news. Um, if any business has the potential to uh, expand in spite of the current economic challenges, and there's an assurance that you get a loan for the facility that you need to expand, and of course, it's a, it's a good news for, uh, for, for businesses. But it's coming uh, from somebody probably who is uh, not in the banking system now in terms of providing the facility. Mm. I hope the banks are, are listening, and I hope that they have strong um, books to be able to support uh, businesses uh, that would want to borrow from them, um, in spite of the increase in the uh, non-performing loans. I see. But I'm, I must say that I'm not really surprised with the increase in the non-performing loans. I mean, any economy that is going through the macroeconomic crisis like we are having now, one of the things that you expect is that non-performing loans will go up. And if you look at the background of our challenges where um, the policy rate keeps increasing, mm. uh, invariably the, the interest rates are also going up. Mm. So definitely it becomes extremely difficult for anybody who borrow with this high interest rate be able to pay back when they themselves are not making enough money because the cost of production is also uh, uh, going up. So um, it's a difficult situation, but we are hoping that the banks, um, after their risk profile, in fact, before they give facility to anybody, they have to look at the risk profile of the business, ability to pay. Mm-hmm. And also look at the banks, also their books, the ability to also to absorb any non-performing loans uh, within their books. And then based on that, I think they will be able to provide this I, I see. The good news, however, is that the banks say um, they are engaging government to see how the debts owed contractors can be paid back on time. How do you see things playing out in that? It's, it's good news. In fact, we have a lot of these contractors um, who have um, completed the work for government and they have not received uh, payment for the work that they have done. In fact, some of our members are going through difficult moments. Um, I know those who have passed on because... Uh, they have taken loans and they are not be able to pay and the banks are on them. I know some of them which they have confiscated their properties because they are not able to pay. I have a friend in, um, in Cape Coast, for instance, who built a whole market using loans and he has not been paid and he's going through a difficult moment. So if the government can take up this bold decision that they are going to pay uh, this contract, for the monies will go through the banks. It means the banks also get the liquidity to be able to Learn to other businesses who will be willing to also take facilities from them. Mm. So it's, it's a very good news for uh, for us, especially those who are into the construction subsector. If you look at the the GDP for the first quarter and the last quarter, you realize that construction construction sector contracted because a lot of them have done work that they have not been paid, so they don't even have the money to go on and expand or do more jobs. Mm-hmm. So once the government is giving them the money, they can expand, and the jobs that are hanging, don't finish once, they'll be able to complete it once the government assures them that they're they going to get their money. Again, there are proposals that some of your members with good books um, should look at issuing corporate bonds. Is this something you consider or worth considering? Yes, I mean, now we are looking out for various options of raising uh, financing. If you look at our financial architecture and, of course, the kind of businesses that we have, mostly they finance the activities using debt and they're going straight to the banks for, uh, for loans without uh, being looking at the other options like going to the capital market or issuing uh, capital um, bonds to other organizations that have funds to, to invest. So I think it's a good call. The fear is that the businesses that we have here are so small and may be extremely difficult for them to issue some of these uh, 
bonds. But the bigger ones with the capacity to do that, I think they should take advantage of it. Because the banks, if, I, if you look at the, the Bank of Ghana report, actually mm. for, uh, as at August, um, credit to the private sector in real terms contracted by 21%, which means that the money that businesses are getting in real terms have gone down. So the banks are also a bit skeptical when they are giving money to these businesses because of the risk attached to um, some of these businesses. But if there are options of raising funding, that the grant is there and also going to the capital, even local and international, I think any um, business entity uh, with a strength to consider this uh, uh, option very well. Uh, it's, it's very, very good, and I think it will help them develop in their business. Mr. Budawaji, um, give me a sense of how your members are faring during these times. Well, it's, it's still a difficult moment. Um, as I said the last time, nothing has really, really changed uh, in terms of the cost of production. In fact, if central banks should maintain the policy rates at 30%, what you expect is that the commercial banks will at least also maintain their lending rate between the 30 to 45%. You've seen uh, utility tariffs also going up. We've seen uh, maybe some stability in the foreign exchange market, although the rates are still uh, very high. The taxes are still there. The growth and sustainability levy, the excise duties, they are still there. Um, so uh, things are still hard, but we are so hopeful. No business will set up and decide that one day I'm closing down because I'm going through challenges. The business should be resilient enough to be able to withstand some of the difficult moments. So we are hoping that things will improve. But the government is also expected to do its bit of working hard, especially the, the, the Bank of Ghana together with the Ministry of Finance, to ensure that some of the policies that they are bringing out are policies that are conducive enough to ensure businesses are able to produce, make profit, and also expand to be able to employ more people uh, to reduce unemployment that we have in the economy. Mm. Finally, um, earlier we played the voice, or we saw um, the communications director of the IMF giving indications that Ghana is likely to get its uh, next tranche based on uh, what they've got so far. Um, during the first tranche, would you say it's impacted positively on the operations and what do you foresee happening? Well, the first tranche, I must say, we have seen some positive signs. But for nothing at all, it brought some uh, confidence in, within, into the economy because the moment the announcement was even made, we realized that the city started experiencing some stability. And when the first tranche came in, we've seen the city hovering around 11.5, 11.6, which is good for businesses because you have to be able to predict when it comes to the foreign exchange market. There are also signs that the other foreign investors are now getting the confidence to come back to invest in our economy. So with this um, second tranche, which I'm very hopeful that we are going to get looking at the things that you have done, I think things will improve. Um, the city will put up a strong performance. You are also likely to see inflation uh, also coming down. What I have said is that all these things will work well when fiscal policy is also supporting some of the activities that are being undertaken. So with the, the, the IMF, uh, we are thankful to them, and we are hoping that the money will come on time to be able to stabilize uh, the economy. You know, when we get into the end of the year and people are importing, mm. we put a lot of pressure on the on the dollar because you need a dollar to be able to import. Other companies are also repatriating their profits. So we need money to be able to do that.
All right. Uh, otherwise, we are likely to experience another thing at the end of the year. Mark Bidwabwaje, CEO of the Ghana National Chamber of Commerce and Industry, always a delight to speak to you here on the marketplace. Now, move on. let's move on to some other stories. And five more institutions have been picked up for non-compliance with the country's data protection laws in the latest round of an enforcement action by the Data Protection Commission. The institutions, Care Flight Clinic, Embassy Gardens, Morning Star School, and Grace Homeopathic um, Clinic were found to be operating without um, data protection licenses. The fifth company, CAPFAM, although registered, had breached sections of the data protection laws. Regulatory and Compliance Director at the Data Protection Commission, Quinton Akrobetu, led the enforcement exercise and addressed the media. The Data Protection Commission. Registration is just one of the aspects of compliance. In fact, it is just the beginning process of what compliance. What we expect from institutions is to bring their processing under the radar of the Data Protection Commission for supervision. So, for some of the institutions, they haven't registered at all. So, we have equally picked institutions in this regard. And this exercise, as we have said, has come to stay. It will continue on a monthly basis. And institutions who are yet to register with the Commission should take note from this and quickly come and register with the Commission. Those institutions who have registered but their registration licenses have expired and they haven't renewed them, should quickly come and renew them because this exercise will expand its scope to cover registrations, renewals, and complaint that we receive from uh, 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 the, the, the public as far as processing of personal data is concerned. So no institutions will think they've been left out. Government says it is poised to improve revenue mobilization drive across all sectors of the economy. According to Deputy Minister for Finance, Dr. John Kuma, government is willing to partner other organizations to explore ways of expanding the tax net as well as addressing other loopholes within Ghana's tax system. He spoke at the national close-out event of the Governance for Inclusive Development Program of GIZ. The Deputy Finance Minister said government will continue to engage key partners to address challenges affecting taxation in the country. Mr. Kuma explained the need for government to raise more revenue and finance inclusive government. By leaving with us an array of benefits and phenomenal assets and success stories of good systems for efficient financial governance. I would also like to assure our partners, GIZ, government's commitment to work assiduously to sustain the great legacies, the lessons, and good practices carved by the COVID program. Programs manager for the COVID program, Rafael Ferkin, called for an effective education on voluntary tax compliance. 700 employees of the RCCs and MMBAs were trained on vulnerability profiling and mainstreaming into the medium-term development plans. The gender toolkit was developed and added into the 2021 NDPC medium-term development planning guidelines. This capacity building has made the planning methodologies of the MMBAs more inclusive. German ambassador to Ghana, Daniel Crew called for an effective tax and public financial management system. A severe financial crisis and and uh, the government is uh, doing its best to find a way uh, and to re-establish uh, financial stability. 
Um, they are working together with the IMF, uh, who is, is, is ready to support. And um, I understand that they are in very good uh, talks and progress. And um, so let's hope that the fiscal space will, um, will be recovered and, and that Ghana has a, a prosperous future and finds a way back on the growth path. The objective of the Governance for Inclusive Development Program is to support national and sub-national institutions in Ghana to finance inclusive government. It's Friday and it's time for showbiz. Like protecting against extreme weather conditions and serving as a hygienic barrier to keep harmful substances off the skin, clothing and textiles play a critical role in our lives. Beyond their functional aspects, they have evolved into an essential industry, generating revenue and providing livelihoods um, for countless individuals involved in their creation. In this segment, we delve into the significant contribution of the fashion industry to Ghana and the broader African continent as the global fashion landscape continues to expand. Our culture journalist with myjoyonline.com, Kenneth Awachidakon, uh, brings insight, perspective on this topic on our show, which of course is showbiz. Um, Kenneth, thanks so much for joining me on the marketplace. Thank Why is this so essential when it comes to clothing and of course harsh weather conditions? So um, basically the importance of textiles and clothing is cannot be overemphasized, right? So mm. in Africa, for instance, uh, when it comes to the various sectors, it is the second largest sector after you know um, agriculture and so that alone tells you how much of an impact that if it's taken seriously is going to leave on the continent also africa for instance mm -hmm. so uh, if you look at um, the kind of people that it employs the fashion industry mm -hmm. mostly in ghana if you choose ghana for an example you realize that a lot of people who are in there mostly are women and the youth as well and so when it comes to like the gender parity and inclusion in terms of the age group amongst other things it also creates employment for that kind of sector and so and also being in 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 uh, parts of the world for instance in ghana there are very different cultures in there that come together to create their own unique you know for instance fabrics and also you know for instance in the north you mm -hmm. have the fugu yeah in in, in the akan land you also realize that there's a lot of kinti and all those things yeah. so there are very different types of textiles that come together to enrich the fashion creation space in the country itself. All right, so if you are to assess um, um, our, our, our line of clothing, would you say that we fared well, basically, as a country looking at the industry? So there are, it, it's very difficult to get the exact mm -hmm. figures when it comes to the country itself, but um, what we have found from reports is that, uh, for instance, in Ghana, the revenue, you know, um, in terms of the fashion market is projected to reach about a one. $40 million, and that's from figures that I'm reading here. And also in Africa, for instance, okay. the general you know, revenue is projected to reach about $6.40 mm -hmm. as of you know, 2023, this year, for example. So with looking at the fact that there are about 13 million African youth going into uh, you know, various industries annually, you'd realize that it's, it's a sector that has to really be looked at if Ghana is looking at making some, you know, some strides when it comes to getting revenue for the youth and the women to also ensure that inclusion is also achieved. Great. And I presume this must come along with some challenges. And you mentioned rightly that um, gender parity is of, of a major concern. Why, why, why is that so? And what are some of the challenges? Because, um, again, back to the reason why the, the gender parity is very crucial in this, because in our parts, right, mm -hmm. um, if you are, for instance, a woman or a young, a young child growing up and you don't have any other alternative 
I mean, back then, you don't have any other alternative in terms of formal education. You are usually pushed into trades, mm-hmm. other forms of trade, and fashion or sewing, sewing all of yeah. those things are very, those are some of the examples of things that people are pushed into. And so it has left the sector sort of unregulated, it's sort of informal. So it's very difficult for people who are in there mostly to, you know, balance the scale mm. with the business side to ensure that they get some, you know, sort of prosperity when it comes to like their, their future amongst other things. So basically the informal nature of the trade is one thing that is causing like a, a big challenge as well. And also there's also some limited access to finances. For instance, banks and institutions that are willing to grant loans and, you know, all of those monetary, you know, in, basically on monetary supports are unable to measure how the impact is going to be. And so the fact that it's informal makes it difficult for them to also assess financing when it comes to, you know, the sort of trade that you do. So that makes it very difficult for the sector as well. But Kenneth, we've got to maximize this great potential. Yeah. How do we do that? So um, I think for, for the governmental level, I think policy is very important. I mean, a TVET, when it comes to TVET, government is doing its bit as well. And I think individuals also who are doing a lot in the space are supposed to also get that kind of light to ensure that the world knows that at least there are people who are not just doing the skill for doing sake, but also doing it the best way that they can to also throw more light to the industry from here as well. And so beyond that, there's also the need for training as well for the informal sector that you know holds a lot of this kind of skilled personnel. If there's more training in that aspect as well, it's going to help to improve their lives in those. And also when it comes to like tapping into the global market, like I mentioned earlier, people who are doing us like, you know, splendid jobs have to be, you know, spotlighted. And also in Ghana, for instance, we have like the unique opportunity of being at a center where there's a lot of um, tourism annually. And so when these people also exhibit their work and we have international people coming down to also experience how the various culture, like the fugus, the king uh, tea and all of those fabrics come to light, it also helps to propagate the word that there's a lot of things that can be done in the fashion industry here to be able to put our culture across the road. All right, well. thank you very much. Always a pleasure to have you, um, Kenneth, and what you right. welcome there. All right, so that's our part company here on the Marketplace with me, Pius Kojobaka. For more stories, do log on to myjoyonline.com forward slash business for all the business stories you need to know in Ghana and beyond. Always a pleasure serving you. Do enjoy the rest of our programs. Bye. Thank you.